This is Back to Excitement with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 117. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. Fooleman, we have some news to get excited about. We do. We have a big trade. Oh, I was actually talking about uh, Cherry Coke being available at Loblaws again. What? Yeah. Okay, uh, pot is canceled. I have to go make some purchases. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, the Leafs have, um, in a new secondary to the Cherry Coke thing, the Leafs have made the biggest trade that they've made since the Nazem Kadri trade, and hopefully one that turns out a little better than that one did. Yeah, this is uh, really fascinating. So I'll lay it right out from the Toronto Maple Leafs Twitter account. The Maple Leafs have acquired the Pittsburgh Penguins first round selection in the 2020 NHL draft. That's 15th overall. Forward Evan Rodriguez, forward Philip Hollander, and defenseman David Warzowski, in exchange for forward Kasperi Kapanen, forward Pontus Aberg, and defenseman Jesper Lindgren. Okay, so there's a lot going on there in terms of moving parts. Several of them don't really matter. Uh, the focus of this trade is really Casperi uh, Kapanen for the first, Rodriguez and Hollander. Um, We'll talk a little bit about the other elements, but they're very secondary. I want to start with a couple of caveats. I'm a bad news first kind of person. I like to deal with the bad news and then move to the good news. So I want to be clear. I'm not being negative about this whole thing. I just want to address a couple things off the top. Three, in fact. First thing is Kasperi Kapanen is probably the best player in this deal. And we gave him up. There's a standard of evaluating trades by you say, by which you say, whoever gave up the best player lost the trade. I don't think that that applies, but I think that it's relevant as it's why the Pittsburgh Penguins made this trade. And Kasperi Kapanen is the best player in it, I think. It's quite possible that next season while playing with, I don't know, Sidney Crosby, Kasperi Kapanen scores more than any other player in this deal ever has or ever will. So, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, We took back Evan Rodriguez. There's a potential issue there where Evan Rodriguez is an interesting, I would say, fourth line forward. But he has a qualifying offer that's going to be in the two million range. And if we give him that and he takes it, it's possible we're going to end up overpaying a little bit for bottom six defensive impacts that aren't worth quite that much money. His offense has never been that great. Uh, I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to happen. I'm just saying it's possible. And it would mitigate some of the cap relief that the Leafs got in this trade where they cleared some salary. And the final caveat is, look, this doesn't fix things in a macro sense. The Leafs are not now, present tense, as of this right instant, a better team than they were this morning. They were a little bit worse. So... All those concerns that we've been talking about since forever, they're all still there. But I think the Toronto Maple Leafs just fleeced a team. Notwithstanding all of that, I think this was a great trade for Toronto. Yeah, uh, I, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, agree. (laughs) Yeah. We've talked a lot about how 
you know, hey, you know, winning a trade's not really a feasible game plan, but my God, it could really help out. And from where I'm sitting, uh, it seems like Kyle Dubas did just that, which I think is just further proof that he does indeed listen to us and respect our opinions. Oh yeah, Kyle Dubas, when you're listening to us, uh, congratulations and thank you for taking our advice. Uh, I always knew you were a smart guy. But... We have never once criticized any <laughs> transactions you have made, ever. Just been a long rainbow of compliments going towards Kyle Dubas. But he did it. I think that this is very good. Yes. Um, and I think the way we're going to kind of attack this on the pod, we're going to talk essentially about first what the Leafs gave up and then what they got back and what they can do with what they got back and from that where they go forward. So in terms of what they gave up, uh, actually, I'll talk about the two very obvious things first. Jesper Lindgren and Pontus Aberg, they are SPCs. Yeah. Uh, Pontus Aberg is probably going back to the KHL now, or going to play in the KHL. I do not think that he has real NHL significance, even though I think that he's kind of an interesting quadruple A player, where he has a lot of offense in the AHL level, but I think that I've probably already devoted a disproportionate amount of time to thinking about him in saying this sentence, so let's wrap it up. And then... Uh, Jesper Lindgren, or Jesper Lindgren. Apologize if I shouldn't use the hard J there. I think that there's a universe where Lindgren turns into a 6-7 NHL defenseman. I think that there's a more likely universe where he doesn't. But he's the kind of like, okay, maybe end of roster guy where you might see his name again in the future for Pittsburgh. I'm sort of thinking like Scott Harrington who we devoted very little thought to after we traded him and who kind of popped up for Columbus from time to time. I'm not at all fussed about Lindgren going. It's like it's like a rank above zero in terms of giving up an asset, but it's not a lot more than that. Best to him, but it doesn't matter. Right. So what it really comes down to is the Leafs gave up Kasperi Kapanen and what is Kapanen like as a player? Well, I mean, I think most people, if not all of them, who listen to this are Leafs fans. Um, and really, we're all Leafs fans in our heart anyways, even if you're not really a Leafs fan. <laughs> but So a lot of people are very familiar with Kapanen, but we, we can talk about him briefly because it'll inform why we think this is a good return, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think where you have to start with Kapanen was the fact that this year was a brutal disappointment. Um, he had a really, really strong year in 2018-2019, where I think he flashed a lot of kind of interesting capabilities. Um, and I think the idea was, okay, maybe he could pick the low-hanging fruit in his game and use that 18-19 season as a, as a springboard into a, a season where he would be kind of a bona fide top six guy. I remember we did a podcast in the middle of the 18-19 season titled Real or Fake, and it was, I think we said like, we think Kasperi Kapanen was a fringe first liner. And I, I, I mean, in hindsight, we were very obviously wrong about that. Um, but the way he was playing at the time, that felt like a legitimate possibility. He was getting a lot of shots away. He was using his speed and uh, he was driving play on what was a pretty strong team. Mm-hmm. So almost none of that carried over to 2019-2020. Uh, and it really seems like Pittsburgh is valuing him based on the former. Yeah, and if they get it, they will be much happier with this trade than we're going to make it sound like they should be. If they get a redux of this season that he just had, they're going to be pretty disappointed. 
And uh, it, it's tough to translate, obviously, team to team, and also because he's going to have uh, a quite radical change in Limate and Opportunity in terms of he's going to probably be playing right wing to Crosby or Malkin. But, I mean, it's worth saying he didn't have bad line mates in, no, in we Toronto. Did not. Right? Now, he played a lot of time in that 18-19 mm-hmm. season with Austin Matthews. Now, Crosby is more of an elevator than Matthews is because Matthews is the shot monster, right? You need to be able to get Austin Matthews the puck. Right. Whereas with Crosby, you need to have your stick on the ice and know roughly where the goal is. You need to exist in three-dimensional space, and Sidney Crosby is going to make you do all right. So. Yeah, so it, it's it's certainly easier to play with Crosby. But the thing that worries me, if, uh, if I'm a Pittsburgh fan, is that Kapanen, I, I'd say his biggest weakness is reading plays in the offensive zone and taking advantage of finding space really i don't think he's great at finding space once in the offensive zone i think mm-hmm. you know with with kasperi kapanen his standout ability has always been his speed and that's helped him in the neutral zone he's a good puck carrier but he's more of a you know he's more of a get the puck in uh with my feet and then what do i do from here sometimes he can make a pass sometimes he'll take a kind of crappy shot but he very rarely sets up a great play from there. Now, if you just use him to get in the zone and then he's passing the puck off to Sidney Crosby, well, then that can be a system that works for sure. Um, but generally speaking, his feet are just a lot faster than his hands and his hockey brain at this point. And at 24, I don't think it's really smart to bank on huge improvement from here. Um, it's worth saying that Captain's bad year also has a lot to do with the circumstances around him. He was asked to play left wing for the first few weeks of the season. That did not work. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't have the skill set for it at all. Um, he, he was probably a worse fit for the Keefe system than a lot of other players. Again, because the Keefe system is about reaching possession in the offensive zone. And Kapanen is not that dangerous against a set defense. His danger comes in chaos. His danger comes when there's space. Right? Yes. Um, so the, the more direct... Leafs offense under Mike Babcock was probably a better fit for him. And to the extent that Pittsburgh is going to, you know, lean into what Kapanen is good at, he can return to that form. So, yeah, if Kapanen returns to his 18-19 form, I don't think Pittsburgh will be that upset with the trade, even though I still think they paid a bit over the odds. But, you know, it's an open question whether he can do that. He's essentially had two full years in the NHL. One was very good. One was quite poor. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? And the most worrying thing to me was actually his shot rate really plummeted last year. Right, I, I mentioned this before, but I, I like to use shot rate as a sense of if a player is actually kind of keeping up with the play and threatening and getting to good positions on the ice. Right, are, are, that's, There's very few players who have a poor shot rate and are good offensive players. You know, Even a guy who we don't think of as a shot threat like Mitch Marner has a pretty uh, healthy shot rate. Right, uh, It's because he's getting in good positions constantly. So... Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of my view on Kapanen. And obviously, he he can help out on the PK. Gets good for a couple shorthanded breaks every season. Um, at his best, I think he can be kind of a Carl Hagelin type player. But mm-hmm. Hagelin was a very very good play driver, and Kapanen, you know, that ability is more tenuous. He he had that one year, eighteen nineteen, where he's had good play driving impacts, um, but he probably isn't going to be as good defensively as Hagelin was. Yeah, I'm. A little bit of two minds about this. For what it's worth, I've always liked Kasperi Kapanen, most memorably when I said I thought he was, you know, high second line, fringe first line in that one segment that uh, he certainly did not live up to (laughs) this past season as we were talking about. But he's a rush monster. 
And further, something that we've referenced in the past with Kapanen is that he doesn't seem to need his teammates that much. He likes them. They're good to have. But he can move from his own zone to the opposing zone in short order by himself. And his great strength is that he can do that almost unsupported. Like, you can play Kasperi Kapanen with not that great a center, I think, and you'll still get a lot of his value out of it. It's not going to make no difference, to be clear. I think that it does matter. But I think that you can get a lot out of him if you're the kind of team that has not that much going on on its third line. The flip side of it is, he doesn't seem to get proportionately better by moving up the lineup and playing with much better players to the extent that we'd hope. And that's why he's such an interesting fit for Pittsburgh, because the whole use of Crosby and Malkin is they can turn ordinary to good players into good to great players while they're on the ice with them. And of course, everyone knows who's driving the bus pretty well, but that doesn't really matter as long as the results get there. And so with Kasperi Kapanen, I'm thinking, he's good. I don't think that he's going to be a disaster there. But Yeah, I, I think also some of the, the models, like, I think looking at this year's GAR and RAPM and isolated threat for him, I do think that genuinely underrates him a little bit mm-hmm. um, because of those issues with team fit and playing out of position. I, you know, you never want to do the thing where you say, okay, you know, we count the good season for the player, but let's discount the bad season uh, or throw away the bad season. But I, I think that it's not at all unreasonable to believe that Kapanen is closer to his 2018-2019 season than he is to his 2019-2020 season. Yes, and I think that that's the case. And I think if Pittsburgh uses him effectively, he's going to be a good winger for them. They'll get some value there. Was this the best they could have done with the assets they have? I have to admit I'm very skeptical. Right. I mean, it's interesting because Kapanen might have been a guy who, if I'm another team, I would have been interested in because I think maybe he's better than what he showed this year. He was closer to his 18-19 season than his 19-20 season. But that's a buy low thing. And what Pittsburgh did here is not buying low. No, quite the opposite. And so... Or I guess rather, if if this is buying low, I wonder what we could have got for Kapanen last year. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, The moon and the stars. Now, actually, though, that's an interesting thing because Pierre Lebrun uh, had an article briefly talking about how Kyle Dubas has been working the market for Kasperi Kapanen. They've been working the market for a lot of players. And that's something that we can... uh, touch on later on in the podcast but they wanted a first round pick and so according to sources i'm quoting lebron here the Leafs spoke to the likes of new jersey nashville anaheim minnesota chicago and carolina about Capitan, and they wanted the first round pick and a lot of those other teams said no or said we'll give you the lower one this was apparently jersey's response but we're not sure we want to throw in a decent prospect with it And so eventually it kind of narrowed back down to Pittsburgh. And so first of all, credit to Kyle Dubas. This is exactly what you should do is work the phones, try and gin up a bidding war if you can, but at least make sure you are taking the best offer. And you think, okay, that should be kind of price of admission just to be good at your job as a general manager. 
but we've heard of some GMs who just sort of took the first thing on the table. Most infamously, Chiarelli has done that a couple times. And so I think that that was good that the Leafs seem to have sought out the team that was willing to overpay. And I think they've gotten a real overpayment here. Uh, yeah, so, so let's talk about yeah. what the Leafs got back. Uh, and mm-hmm. I guess we can do this kind of in order of least to most interesting asset. Yeah, we're trying to build um, to a climax here. This pod is going to slowly mount in excitement. So yeah. Yes. So with apologies to uh, Evan Rodriguez, <laughs> let's talk about Evan <laughs> Rodriguez. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know what? There are worse things to be than Evan Rodriguez. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I want... I, I talked up Evan Rodriguez a bit on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to be careful about what I say here because I don't want this to turn into... You know, oh, uh, you know, I think Evan Rodriguez is a really, really good player. It's like, I think people don't realize that Evan Rodriguez is actually a decent. That that that's where I, I'll kind of stake uh, my position. Yeah, um, so we're Rodriguez, not projecting a William Carlson thing here. <laughs> yes, uh, Rodriguez is twenty-seven. He's an RFA uh, with, as you mentioned, a qualifying offer of two million dollars. So, two million dollars is. I mean, it's not crazy expensive. You might argue, if you look at the stats, that he he might even be worth it uh, if you fully buy into the fancy stats and the numbers and the models on him because he, as I said, is surprisingly good there. Yeah, um, I, I don't, to be clear. Yes. I, I buy them a little bit. I don't buy them to the extent that it's worth $2 million yeah. for and a I player think of his offense. Yeah. More, maybe importantly for the Leafs, the market probably doesn't believe that, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. the Leafs, it seems... Uh, or at least this is my best educated guess, is that, you know, they, they will try and get him cheaper than $2 million. And, and that also kind of makes sense when you look at where his fit is on the roster, right? Um, assuming Robertson is on the Leafs, and this is the Leafs as they currently stand, someone in this list might be traded. Um, but as of right now, there isn't really a great spot in the top nine if you assume that Robertson is going to be there, right? You have Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. All of those guys are locks for the top nine, top six. Mm-hmm. Then you have Janssen, Hyman, Mikheyev, Kerfoot, and Robertson. That's nine players total. Um, Rodriguez doesn't seem like he's supplanting anyone there. So given that, you know, it, it seems like all else remaining the same, and that's not necessarily a good bet, he would be more for the fourth line than the third line. Uh, and that would potentially keep what the Leafs want to pay him to a minimum. Uh, in reality, the Leafs should be trying to do that regardless because... People get paid for offense, and Rodriguez doesn't provide much of it, right? And mm-hmm. this is where you might be able to squeeze some value out of um, a t- out of a player. And this is a very you know team centric focus on this, right? Which is to the detriment of the player because you're underpaying them relative to what they can provide. But that's the perspective that we kind of take as fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you you know you can potentially get him for cheaper than he might deserve to be because his value, such as it is, is mostly defensive, right? So he's a center slash right wing, um, from what I'm told, in Buffalo, he played both pretty equally. Uh, he was traded to, uh, to Pittsburgh uh, and only played like 10 games there. So analyzing his time in Pittsburgh is, is almost useless. There's nothing really to analyze. Um, but based on his time in Buffalo, he seems like he's a competent depth player who is, as we said, not providing a lot of individual offense. It's not really that much of a zone entry threat, not really much of anything, but he seems to have a little bit of shot suppression ability and he seems to... Uh, and teams seem to do fine when he's on the ice, right? He's not uh, cratering teams in any way. He seems like a perfectly fine depth player. And that's kind of where I'm going to stand on him. Um, for what it's worth, uh, Kevin at NT Rider 85 who's a Sabres fan, 
uh, and someone who we talk to and talk about a lot on the show actually uh mentioned that in a way he's he's a little bit like captain he has a lot of good speed he's good uh in transition and he's not very good in the offensive zone and that makes sense given uh his pretty poor point totals so i can see the leafs wanting to keep him uh dubis gave you know a pretty milk toast comment of yeah we're going to see what's possible with rodriguez um i don't think they'll keep him first qualifying offer but if they can get him for cheaper he's you know certainly capable on the fourth line i think he could be a fine uh third line right winger in a pinch uh not ideal at that point right he's probably not above average at that position uh relative to the rest of the league but you know as a fourth line guy additional center depth right-handed face-off option i'd be happy to have him on the team and i think he's a guy who you can um pay less than he probably is worth yeah his big thing is He's probably better than Frederick Goche, and he can take Frederick Goche's job. As a rule, I don't like paying fourth liners more than I can avoid, and I think even if he comes in over his qualifying off, under his qualifying offer, excuse me, I do think that he's probably going to get a certain amount of money because he's pending to go UFA, but you never know. If the Leafs can get kind of a reasonable deal here, then they'll have cleared a decent amount of money on this transaction. Putting you on the spot, what is a reasonable deal to you? For Evan Rodriguez? Yes. Low ones on a one-year. Okay, yeah, I, I, I was thinking the same. I think on Twitter I said, like, mid-ones. Um, and thinking about it more, I, you want to squeeze that down as much as possible. If he's on 1.5, it's not the end of the world. Um, but at, I don't want to pay a fourth liner 1.5. I, if, if he's, you know, on your third line and you're also getting rid of someone else, you know, mm-hmm. of those nine that we mentioned um then that's more palatable but yeah it's you know uh you want to keep it as cheap as possible and i think dubis is going to try and do that we'll see to what extent he is uh successful now the interesting thing is based on last year alone you could argue that he was kind of better than kapanen in terms of like his on and one stats they they were better than kapanen's for over last year his uh goals above replacement all that sort of thing yeah, that's kind of crazy to contemplate. Now, that's... I'll, I'll own. I don't believe it. But well, Yeah, and, yeah. and Rodriguez himself also had a down year in 1920 compared to 1819. But his 1819 year, by goals above replacement, was better than Kapanen's 1819 year. Um, and a large part of that value is, uh, you know, decent uh, play driving, right? That's mm-hmm. basically it. He doesn't provide a whole lot of... Um, shooting talent or scoring talent it, it's basically just you know play driving ability and he's not bad at anything he doesn't kill you anywhere doesn't take a ton of penalties um draws a decent amount with speed you know he, he doesn't kill you in any particular spot so that that's kind of what helps him he certainly has less upside than Kapanen, right based on right. kind of talent what we kind of view as talent and his age but you know there, there's an argument that he's already as good as kasperi Kapanen is and that the Leafs actually haven't taken a step back. Now, I don't know how much I buy that. This might be kind of an offensive bias, right? Because Kapanen um, does more offensively than Rodriguez, but, you know, he, he also gives up a bit more defensively. And that's ho- something that doesn't necessarily stick in your mind's eye as much as the stuff that he adds through offense uh, at his best. So basically, that's that's a big shrug as to whether he's better than Kapanen right now, but based on all the stats the publicly available information it doesn't appear he's incredibly far off and that's probably more than people would initially think and um 
yeah, it's based on all that. Like, I, I do want the Leafs to make an attempt to keep him without going overboard in doing so. Yeah. In, insofar as we disagree on this trade, you're probably higher on Rodriguez than I am. I'm skeptical of depth forwards who put up really good defensive results but don't produce a lot. I think that there are a lot of those, and yeah, they're and there, fine. There's, there's, like, team effects that play in. Like it, yeah. The fact is we can't really fully isolate for players defense irrespective of their teams and their usage and all that stuff yet so it can be tricky right i mean we talked a lot about nick shore uh Mm -hmm. prior to last year and he came to the leafs and he was you know nothing special yeah i would not be surprised if this is nick shore redux and i like nick shore actually i like i think he's fine um and i think as long as we get a player who is fine and for what it's worth rodriguez seems to be a particularly versatile kind of fine so to speak where it's like he can at least kind of do what you need him to do and be useful i'm okay if rodriguez uh settles in at a not too excessive salary on the fourth line uh and i'm not sure that he's the first guy to move up when and if there's an injury you know if he loses a competition to barabanov or whoever else in terms of offensive ability that's fine too but I think he's not useless, I guess. Is, <laughs> that's uh, damning with faint praise. But I think that he can put something into the lineup that's of some utility. He can play a role. He can serve a purpose. My only real concern is that maybe he ends up being paid a little bit more than he's worth. And he kind of mitigates the cap benefits from this excellent deal. Yeah. But still, mostly good. Assessing these sorts of players is always really tough because, right. you know, there's such a gigantic glut of NHL players who are all roughly the same ability. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, external factors are probably a lot, they carry a lot of importance as to how well they actually do in any given year. And so does randomness, right? right. And, and I guess Vegas is such a good example of this um, with how good they were just from jump with a bunch of guys who were, you know, just quite competent, but weren't setting the world alight previously. Yeah. And so, you know, just having people who can be confident and do the job is totally fine. And if he takes Kyle Clifford's job, that is all right by me. Yeah, so, so I, I don't want to get carried away with Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. It's, he's a nice bonus. Like, the, if this deal didn't include him, I'd still think it's a very good deal for the Leafs. The fact that it adds him and gives the Leafs the chance to negotiate and get him on what is hopefully, a, from the team perspective, a very team-friendly deal. Uh, that's nice. And I think, basically, he can play in the NHL in a bottom six role and he'll be all right mm-hmm. so yeah so be it uh maybe these more fun a little bit more glamorous addition the next one up is philip hallander uh whose name like there's no way i'm pronouncing that right but i'm doing my best and you should all just respect me for that um he's a cool prospect huh yeah i, I mean uh, yeah. So in, in in my notes, here, here's what I wrote under um, Philip Hollander. It was number one, insert scouting reports, which we will do shortly because mm-hmm. neither of us are scouts. And nope. I would be lying if I have said that I have watched more than three minutes of Philip Hollander. Maybe not even that. Like I'm just counting on the fact that I've watched a Sweden game at some point that he might have been playing in. Um, <laughs> he seems nice. He seems like a nice boy. He, he talked about Kyle Dubas and he was very excited. Yes. Uh, he's Swedish. Always a, a benefit. Um, that's all I have. <laughs> so let's go but to the those, scouting report. Those elements are terrific. Okay, so Scott Wheeler in January 
had this report on Hollander, who we, he considered one of the better prospects in the Pittsburgh pool. Uh, I mean, yeah, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pittsburgh doesn't have much of a pool at this point. Uh, Hollander was fourth at the time. Uh, Kalen Addison was at the top of that pool, and he was dealt in the Jason Zucker trade. So things getting real thin on the farm down in Wilkes-Barre Scranton, but whatever. Uh, okay, so the first thing is Hollander had a broken leg that caused him to miss some time. And Scott acknowledges that, and he says broken legs can really derail a career, and he has missed some serious time at an important age. So consider this me covering my bases. But, Hollander is one of those rare players who can play up and down a lineup and adjust his role to his line mates. Need him to drive a third line as its best player and have the puck a lot? He can do that. Need him to play off the puck on a second line where he's not the most talented player? He can do that. Need an energy guy who can play fast and get in on the forecheck on your fourth line? He's well suited for that. Tell me more. Oh, sing me a lullaby about that sort of stuff. That's exactly the kind of player that you want. And I think the more recent uh, scouting blurb from Corey Pronman, which went up actually just uh, yesterday, might encourage you even further. I find this funny because <laughs> he's ranking the uh, under 23 cores of teams and Pittsburgh was already way down there because again they don't have any prospects but Hollander was one of the few guys on it and it's like well now they're even worse so Hollander had another successful season in the NA in the SHL continuing his stretch of performing well versus men Hollander isn't a flashy player with average foot speed and slightly above average puck skills but what drives his value is his high hockey IQ in parentheses, he's a Kyle Dubas player, da 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 and compete level. Hollander is great around the hard areas of the ice, showing the ability to win battles and make plays around the net. He's a crafty passer and also someone who doesn't shy away from making hard plays to the middle third of the ice. He killed penalties for Lulea and showed the strength and will to win puck battles. He may not have enough skill to be a big-time scorer in the NHL, but he scored a lot the last three seasons. Again, these are encouraging reports. You have to... Uh, take a lot of these with a grain of salt because I think a lot of scouting reports tend to be quite sunny but I also think that uh, Wheeler and Pronman have generally shown that they are not prone to being utopian about uh, certain players and so I think it's fair to say as everyone has been saying he's not on a level with Robertson or Sandine who are our best prospects but he's in the next tier down and as someone who had to rank the prospects for the top 25, that next year down doesn't have a whole lot of names in it right now. <laughs> it, it really got doesn't. A li- it got a little barren, and there was a bit of a, a gap of a few players that you maybe have some hopes for, and then some faint hopes. So Hollander, I think, is solidly a second tier. If we did the ranking again and just added him into it, I think he would be in the top 10, probably. Probably right around 10th or 9th, but he would make it yeah i think one encouraging thing there was the discussion about his versatility um mm-hmm. you want prospects who have a lot of different paths to the nhl right and, and i guess to contrast that there the leafs obviously employed jeremy brocco and brocco is a player who really only had one path to the nhl and that is be good enough at everything uh, or be good or yeah be good enough at his skill set that he can make it into a top six role into an offensive role in the NHL where he's playing with good line mates and playing on the power play. 
um, because if he's not quite good enough or if it's marginal, he doesn't provide enough elsewhere to slip into any other role. You have to use him a particular way to get the most out of him, and your team is not designed to get the most out of a particular player. It's designed to win more as many hockey games as they can. Right. So versatility helps a lot. Uh, having kind of a lot of pathways to a potential NHL role is not only good for Hollander's uh, career, but it's good for the team that has him too because it means they can use him to plug a lot of holes so without getting too carried away with him he's a good prospect to have um the way you survive cap crunches is by having cheap depth that you can just churn through right right and the Leafs don't have that now if they had a 22 year old who could replace you know 65 75 percent of what Kasperi Kapanen does at his best then they're much happier about trading cap and it doesn't leave as big a hole on the third line right wing. And, you know, let's not, you know, mince words here. It does leave a hole not having cap in there because there is a pretty notable drop between what we feel cap can do and the people behind him, mm-hmm. right? Which goes to your point that you mentioned kind of right off the top. This, this makes the Leafs, I think, in the eyes of most people, um, unless you're really, really high on Rodriguez and think he can replace cap completely, it makes the Leafs a little bit worse this year. The way you avoid that is by having players who can step in you know who are young and who can step in who are cheap you know at any given moment uh Hollander seems like he could become one of those guys yes and you know if he can now as with so many forward prospects he's played some center he's played some wing it would be worthwhile if the Leafs could start rebuilding their center pipeline it hasn't been the most obvious issue because the Leafs looked at for a time Matthews, Tavares, Kadri, and now Matthews, Tavares, Kerfoot, and you think, okay, there's are three centers. But if you have an injury or you move Kerfoot to left wing on the second line or whatever else, you start realizing very quickly that the Leafs do not have a whole lot coming behind them. They're relying on Pierre Engvall, and God bless Pierre Engvall. I like him very much, but him at third line center in the NHL is a bit of a dicey proposition. So if you have players who can play center at a high level who can come up and provide that injection of coming off as a talent, that would be terrific. And again, if he's versatile, it doesn't mean you have to use him there all the time. It gives you options to bring it back around to what you were saying, more paths to the NHL, more better. And actually, Kasperi Kapanen did say in his parting words how grateful he was that he spent so much time with the Marlies developing different skills than just being an offensive dynamo, you know, learning to kill penalties, becoming a better defensive winger. That gives you roads. And so Holander seems like someone who has roads, and he seems like the kind of player that Kyle Dubas has looked to acquire. Apparently, Kyle Dubas wanted him in the 2018 draft. Uh, at least this is what he told Holander anyway. He says, you know, we had our eye on you. And... Yeah, I, I'm glad to have him in the organization. I don't want to suddenly say, hey, pencil him in for 20 goals next year. Uh, you know, pencil him in for the Swedish Hockey League next year. But he's a cool prospect, and I'm definitely glad to add him to the organization. Worth mentioning that um, Hollander, or is it Hollander or Hollander? This is going to annoy me. We're going to try all of them, and I think if anyone who's listening is from Sweden or speaks the Swedish language, we are sorry. We will get better at this over time. We just had to learn this guy's name like a couple hours ago. Yeah, I'm going to call him Hollander just uh, to make, I don't, I, just because I know you're saying Hollander, so we're covering our bases. One of us is right. Um, right. So 
Holland played for Lulea in the SHL. They were a good team in the Swedish Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he's getting actual minutes on a good team. Like, I mean, the SHL is not a developmental league. Their teams are in it to win it. Right. So that speaks to, I guess, the fact that, you know, if, if the coach there in a league that is a professional league that's trying to win does trust him, that's a good sign, right? He, yeah. he was 19 this past season. Uh, a lot of coaches don't trust 19-year-olds for uh, very justifiable reasons. 19-year-olds are idiots. <laughs> so, yeah, if he was, you know, able to get there, uh, the the, tr- the trust of his coach, that's inarguably a good thing, you know, on a, on a good team. Uh, I remember Katya saying something about his uh, possession numbers actually being pretty decent in the mm-hmm. SHL. Uh, we don't have incredibly detailed data. It might be, like, all situations data, but... I, I'm kind of blindly putting trust in Katya, and I hope I'm not misquoting her too badly, um, yep. that he is basically Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> <laughs> there are no differences between the two of them. Yeah, it, it is worth noting, he was one of the youngest uh, regular players on the team. Now, there were a few others, uh, Nils Lungfist, who went in the first round uh, in the same draft where Holander went in the second, and uh, Noel Gundler, who is about to be drafted, uh, probably quite high, uh, were both on the team. But a lot of the players here are between 25 and 40. Like, there's a, a mature lineup here. And so, yeah, I, I do think that it's it's positive. This is like a magnified version of when I tried to find the silver linings for Pondus Holmberg, uh, <laughs> which was a bit of a challenge, let me tell you. But the fact that Holander is already producing in the SHL as a 19-year-old on the top team in the league, that's very positive. Yeah, and so, so I, I actually yeah. I actually found the the message from Katya that where she was discussing this, and uh, she said that Hollander appears to have been you know the first line left wing for Lulea this season, which seems like a good thing. Had a good Corsi, good points on uh, a not very high or not inflated online shooting percentage, so his points are not you know a mirage. It appears. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I think positive signs. And I would hope that the Leafs have more detailed data than this uh, about the SHL. Um, and hopefully there's, you know, more there that they really are liking. Yeah. And, and I will say that I have a decent level of confidence in the organization under Kyle Dubas to do these things. It's not infallible or anything, but I've been impressed by their ability to evaluate young talent so far. And I hope that it keeps going. So, yeah, Holander uh, is a really nice thing to also get. I think he's above the level of just a throw-in guy. Yeah. I think he's a legitimate asset. Um, and we'll see how he turns out. Yeah, I mean, uh, off the top of my head, like, I, I can't say I would, uh, as you said, below uh, Sandine and Robertson in terms of Leafs prospects, but potentially above everyone else, including Nilligren. Yeah, I think that there is a real case that you would have him third, and that's a nice thing. To add to a kind of thin organization. Yeah. Okay, wow. so now let's get to the really fun part. <laughs> we got a first round pick. Uh, the draft is just so much more fun when you have I a first know. round pick. Because, uh, you know, otherwise, when you don't have a first round pick, it's like um that, that meme of Squidward inside his house watching SpongeBob and Patrick play outside. Yeah, because you're always being like, like everyone else is like, oh my God, you know, uh, Askarov could fall to us at 11th or something like that. And you're just sort of like, yeah, probably no one's going to fall to us at like, I don't know, 134th or whenever it is we pick. So there is a bit 
of a letdown in that experience. But the Leafs have dealt back into the first round. Uh, they would originally have been 13th because of this gong show of a year. And now they've got the 15th pick. So that's not a huge loss in value. And I think that's delightful. That's really good that we got that back. Yeah. Um, whether we use it or not, which is something we'll discuss. But yeah, that's really good. And for what it's worth, uh, this is if this is reported to be a deep draft. I don't know what that means, really. Because like <laughs> when they talk about, is it a deep draft? They're like, you know what? The 24, there's 24 players this year that are better than the first 24 players. Like it's really nebulous what deep means. I feel like deep often means, hey, there's like eight really good prospects here. Yeah. Here's the thing is every one that I seem to talk to says that it's eight or nine players who are really strong. And then after that, it's a little bit iffy. It's probably like uh, an average draft. I mean, and the, yeah. It, and who it, knows it, after that? Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell. I mean, it's probably not going to be 2003 or 2015. We can say that, but hopefully, you know, you can get contributors into the teens. Um, and I think the pertinent question here is, do you keep the pick or do you trade the pick? And, there are good arguments for both, I think. Uh, Dubis, in his media stuff that he's that's basically going on right now as we're recording, has, I don't think, said anything too uh, noteworthy. He just said, yeah, we might keep it, we might trade it, which is what he would have to say. He's not going to box himself in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really, really interesting question. Because the case for keeping the pick is this. I'll, I'll make it as follows. So the Leafs will have very few chances to add actual game-changing talent to their roster going forward, especially without subtracting anything from it. Um, and we said that, you know, going on to last year. And that's mainly because we didn't predict, uh, you know, a, a season where we would be in the lottery. And should had it been a regular season, we probably wouldn't have been in the lottery. We probably would have made the first round of the playoffs and possibly lost there, probably lost there. But we, it wouldn't be in the lottery and, we'd actually have a lower pick than what we do now. Right. Um, but the the reality is, kind of sneaking a first in what is reportedly uh, a strong draft is a way to actually get a difference maker. Now, it's not a guarantee, right? You don't want to get into the situation where you're like, well, this 15th overall pick could be anything, even this amazing player that we could get by trading for the 15th overall pick. Right. You, know, you don't want to do that. But the reality is, when you trade... Uh, this pick the other team is banking in essentially what you know what their expected value of that pick is right? and, the, and the distribution of that pick uh if you are kind of a little bit risk seeking you make the pick and say what if we get a star here and that changes the trajectory of the team drastically going forward and of course there's a downside what if we get a total bust well you get nothing for it you you've just squandered a big opportunity so a lot mm-hmm. of this kind of depends on how you view this team right um because if you view them as a, a really strong team, a contending team that needs a little bit of a push, maybe you say, let's trade the guy. Let's trade this. Let's get, you know, a certain known quantity defenseman um, with this pick that can help, you know, elevate us further. But right. as we covered, can the Leafs really see themselves as a contender right now? They lost to a team in round zero that lost to a team in round one that's losing currently in round two. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, you know, that's overly reductive. Um, yeah. But when you put it like that, you know, in what world is this team a contender? This team hasn't won a playoff series yet. And maybe it makes sense to say, hey, let's shoot for the moon here. If we get another great player, that imbo- that allows us 
so many more possibilities going forward, right? right. So it's, it's about whether you feel that upside is more valuable to you than what you could get for it in a trade. And um, yeah, I guess that upside really is significant because cheap ELC talent is, as we said, how you keep your team churning in a cap crunch, which is what the Leafs are going to be in going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that there are strong cases both sides. You don't want to get too dreamy about this and say, hey, you know who went 15th? Is Eric Carlson or whoever? But yeah, you can add a good to potentially very good player there. And that's not nothing. That's of interest both on the win now and the win later timelines if you can do it uh it's just not guaranteed that said picks are money you know picks are the ultimate transferable asset they are of a certain amount of use and they can work for a lot of teams it you know it's a something that's going to be of interest to a lot of teams so you can measure it either way and i think we should start with the obvious you take calls on the first round pick you absolutely want to be in conversations with teams where you say hey what would you give us for this to make an informed decision and you know i this is probably so obvious it doesn't need to be said but i keep hearing people say things like oh should we trade zach hyman oh i don't know and then people are like well you take calls yeah you take calls on everybody but austin matthews you know like (laughs) you have to at least listen and you certainly explore what your options are with this first round pick because there are going to be teams who want it and who are willing to pony up for it the question is whether it's an it it's at an amount where it's worth more to you than the player that you can get there for yourself yeah so i i think yeah it's probably fair to say that neither of us would advocate for a hard keep this pick for sure or trade this pick for sure It, it, it all depends but i think we want to talk really about the considerations that you have to um consider Right. <laughs> As one does. As one does, yeah. Uh, when making that decision, right? What are the factors? And you, you talked about kind of the pick helping on the win now and the win later timeline. It doesn't quite help. Well, it doesn't, most likely would not help at all for next year. No, right? it doesn't and, help and, on the win immediately timeline. I should probably clarify. It's, you can say in the medium and long terms. Yes. But, you know, it, it, it's an open question about, okay, to what extent should the Leafs bin off the future to try and win immediately? Mm-hmm. And there's there's degrees of answers there. I think the Leafs want to win next year. They want to win while John Tavares is John Tavares. That's their right. best chance to win. That's that's you know a big part of what their window, so to speak, is when Tavares is still a somewhat efficient contract where he's able to be you know a first line center. Um, and you know you could argue that that time might have already run out, right? Because he wasn't amazing in the regular season this year. There was injury concerns, weirdness with the coaching, and all that sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm optimistic based on his playoff performance where he was genuinely good, I thought, that John Tavares is still John Tavares. He's probably not peak John Tavares, but he's not far off from it. So, yeah, you want to do well next year, but you also don't want to sack off the remaining, you know, the rest of the the life of Tavares' deal and, you know, the franchise going forward for a marginal improvement next year. You you really want to trade, if you're going to trade this pick, it has to be something that also helps you at least, if not the long term, in the medium term. In addition to the short term, yeah, and no more one-year buys. Yes, for sure. And this is something I want to mention. We're still constrained by cap space quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. We still, right now, we essentially have no cap space on a twenty-three-man roster. Maybe two, two and a half million if you run a shortened roster right now. Right. Um. So adding a decent player, even with this first-round pick, 
is going to either require the player who we're adding to be very, very cheap. Uh, the re- Otherwise, we would need retention or we have to dump salary the other way. Yeah, and that's actually probably worth an aside because James Myrtle has published a thing talking about who the Leafs are supposedly dangling out there as options to acquire. And apparently they, to varying degrees, have said that they might trade Frederick Anderson for a low-cost asset, Alexander Kerfoot, which I find kind of surprising, Pierre Engvall, who I don't think is going to return a hell of a lot, or Andreas Janssen, who would be selling low. But they're putting them all out there and seeing what the returns are. And collectively, if you unload, say, Anderson plus Kerfoot plus Janssen, you do clear a lot of money. You've also badly damaged your third line and run a hell of a risk at starting goalie. But if the Leafs are in the big game hunting kind of mode where they really want to say, we need to make a giant impact acquisition. That's the kind of clearing that you have to do. Yeah. Um, And I tend to lean towards the idea that it's actually almost easier to find defensemen who fit that bill um, than ones who you can get for the first round pick without giving up another player in some sort of cap dump. Um, Because the reality is you want a player who is relatively youngish or if, if not, you know, if not very young, at least very, very good, so they can compensate for not, for their likely getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure that they have at least two years of control, ideally three or more. And you want to make sure they're very good, right? The number of people who... who that's already a pretty restrictive set of um, constraints. But the number of players who are like that and also very cheap are, are quite low because how many players are good and young and cheap and, you know, teams want to trade them. <laughs> you know, Not very, that many. <laughs> yeah, almost none. Um, and then at that point, if you're shopping in the lower end of the market, well, why give up the first round pick at all? Maybe you can just get Dylan DeMello in free agency or something, right? Or, you know, like the, the, the drop off is not necessarily as big unless you go big game hunting. Right. That's the thing is, do you want a big difference maker or do you want to go bargain bin shopping? And if you believe that you can analyze defensemen better than, say, the market at large, possibly because you have some internal analytics, uh, <laughs> then maybe you say, you know, screw it. I don't need to free up that much cap space. And you can look at doing all sorts of things. Um, the or, idea or, or of turning Alexander to... Kerfoot, I should just say, is very <laughs> weird to me because, again, I don't see who goes into third line center who doesn't... Evan Rodriguez, clearly. <laughs> done and done who doesn't struggle there very badly though but uh yeah so all of this plays into the first round pick is like what is your overall strategy do you want to chase the white whale of alex petrangelo like do you think that that's a serious option for you um you better not swing and miss so you probably want to use the off-season cap option um, that allows you to spend a certain amount above the cap during the summer and then clear salary. And then what do you do in net if you're trading Frederick Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I'm Don. I'm all kind of mentally discounting the idea of trading Anderson just because, man, what what are you doing for goaltender if, you, if you're trading Anderson? You got to be really, really sure that the guy you're getting to replace him is good, right? Because 
goaltending can just sewer your team so fast. It can ruin your season before it starts. Um, yep. As poor as Anderson was this year, he has a track record of being an above-average NHL goalie. Mm-hmm. And that sort of consistency is a little bit difficult to find, right? Um, so that's not to say it's a bad move to, to trade him, especially since I certainly don't want any part of his next contract. And it would free up a lot of cap room because then, you know, then you can package the first round pick alone for just a very good defenseman uh, without worrying that much or as much about cap hit, right? You, it can just be a guy who is good and have has years of control but can be paid appropriately. Um, yeah. You know, you're not looking for a unicorn at that point. You're looking for something that's hard to find but not impossible. But with trading Anderson, it's it's just a huge, huge risk no matter what. Like, there, there's nothing anyone can say to convince me otherwise. Like, it's possible you can find... You can tandem it up with, you know, Jack Campbell and pick a name, Alexander Georgiev or something. I wouldn't feel great about it, though. No, you're rolling some dice, and maybe you look and you say, hey, Columbus had a couple of rent-a-goalies, and they did just delightfully, but... Right, and, and it's it's one of those things where, like, it, it might genuinely be the, the right decision, and... This is sports, right? You have to make calls before the data makes you completely unequivocal about the decision you're making. You're always dealing with uncertainty. And you right. have to get comfortable with it, but that doesn't mean that uncertainty doesn't exist. And that doesn't mean that that bet that might be good, that you might think is good or might actually be good. It doesn't mean that can't go sour on you. Yeah. And, and you know, it's probably worth noting, if you're trying to replace him in free agency with, I don't know, Robin Lehner... That's a whole other kettle of fish where, you know, we've seen some disastrous big goalie free agent contracts in recent years, most prominently Sergei Bobrovsky, even for players, for goalies who had been good recently. It's just a dangerous market. Right. Like, and I mean, so, who else are you, can you maybe get a one year deal for, for Corey Crawford or Braden Holtby? Well, Holtby hasn't been good in a couple years. Uh, yeah. Crawford is 35. Yeah. And, you know, hasn't always been healthy. I I think you're staring down a tough bunch of decisions there if you trade Anderson. And if you think that, you know, Georgiev is going to be our goalie of the future or something like that, well, the Rangers have been demanding an arm and a leg for Georgiev by all accounts. And so... They, they demanded Kasperi Kapanen. So by, by transitivity, they demanded a first-round pick, Philip Hollander <laughs> and Evan Rodriguez. That's a lot. Those bastards, I'm insulted. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a really difficult proposition. I can certainly see why you explore it. And, you know, we talked about, okay, maybe the core gets one more year, it sounded like to us. Sounds like that's what's happening. And everything else is on the table. So this is what that looks like. Um, y- you know, like the names that aren't among those four and who aren't core players, it's mostly just because I don't think we would get a trade for them that really works. Yeah. So, I mean, to boil it down, if you're putting aside the Anderson thing, if you're trading the first-round pick in conjunction with, say, Andreas Janssen or Alex Kerfoot, um, Mm -hmm. and there's downsides in trading either of them, but, you know, whatever, uh, you have to find someone who has term, who is unequivocally a top four defender because you have just gutted your third line if if mm-hmm. between the captain and trade and this trade so this this person you're getting back has to be real damn good 
um, because it's also unclear how you're replacing those third line guys. You're probably taking a step back there. Even if you gain a bit, even if you get more efficient contracts, you're still losing wins. Right. Um, so yeah, that, and that player has to be available for, you know, six million, six and a half million at the most. Not a ton of players fall into that, right? Um, if if you're looking at, if you're willing to sacrifice on one or two of those items, maybe you can do it. Like, do do you look at Matthias Ekholm of Nashville? Does Nashville just laugh at you for even offering this, right? Matthias Ekholm's a top pairing defender. He's a left sided defender, and he's twenty nine. Um, so he's not a perfect fit in a lot of ways, but he has three more years of control at like th- in the high threes in terms of contract value. So that's um very manageable for the Leafs, but even that's not ideal and. Nashville, very like I said, they just might laugh at you for being. You want us to give a top pairing defense to give you a top pairing defenseman for the fifteenth overall pick and an average NHL winger. Get out of here. Yeah, and I don't think that David Poyle, at his stage in his career, with the contracts he's given out to Johansson, Duchesne, Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, all of these guys are late twenties, early thirties. I don't know that they're necessarily thinking, "Let's go get a first. They're probably closer to where Pittsburgh is positioned in terms of, you know, team development than they are to a team that's on the way up who might have more interest in a first. I'm not ruling anything out. I'm just saying the trick in shopping this first is some teams are going to want it more than other teams. And presumably whoever we sell it to at this point is likely going to want to use it. You know, I... I mean, I guess they could turn around and flip it again, but realistically, your best market at this point probably comes from a team that intends to take a player. So, yeah, it's an awkward fit with Nashville, and yet you look at them and you think, gosh, they had several defensemen. Um, You look at Carolina and you think they have nothing but defensemen, it seems like. Um, But there's also, uh, it's also like the players that they would want to give up are not players I would want to give up for the 15th overall pick in this draft, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mackenzie Weger has a, a pretty nice profile. This is, uh, he plays on Florida. Right. And I guess, weirdly, Florida had a top pairing of, of two right defenders in Mackenzie Weger and Aaron Ekblad for much of this year. But uh, this is the first year Mackenzie Weger has really played big minutes and he did well in them, but this, it's 45 games of that. Do I want to trade the uh, the first round pick for, for, for that, for that uncertainty? Ideally, no. I would like someone who I'm more confident is a is a you know strong top four defenseman. You know, if you compare this to the Jake Muzzin trade, the Leafs got two easy two years essentially two playoff runs, which is the relevant part of Jake Muzzin. They got that for a first pick, first overall pick, sorry, first round pick, which is twenty second overall, Sean Dursey and Carl Grundstrom. Um, you could argue that the fifteenth pick on its own makes up a lot of that value. The fifteen is higher than twenty two, and it's a stronger draft. But, you know, say you, you throw in the prospects to make those deals roughly equal. You want someone as good as Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin, when the Leafs acquired him, was a well-known, highly regarded top four defenseman with, you know, for what it's worth, playoff experience and pedigree and toughness and all that sorts of thing. Mm-hmm. Right? He was an order of magnitude more attractive as a trade chip than Mackenzie Weger. Right. So, you know, you don't want to give this up for just anyone. Mm-hmm. So and, and so yeah, th- this puts us in an awkward position. It's the old thing of how do you evaluate defensemen? And again, you know, I hate to say, I, I mean, it seems ridiculous to go say go win another trade now. 
but it's like you would love to find someone who is making a valuation error, who is either overvaluing that first or who is undervaluing a defenseman that they have. And again, you know, it's a matter of the Leafs have got to knock on doors to make that happen. It really sounds like Kyle Dubas is planning to be very active, as we've been discussing, which is well to the good. Because if there's any hope of getting the best possible return on this first round pick, either from trade or from drafting, it's going to involve getting as much information as we can about market conditions. Yep, very much so. It's it's going to be tricky. Like It's not very easy to trade this pick straight up for the defenseman of our dreams right um the no. cap considerations play in significantly the fact that if you're you know dumping another one of your guys you have to make up for that by the quality of the player you're getting back being that much better right i mean i think there's some frustration with the least third line with kerfoot Janssen, and kapanen as a whole mm. and i don't think the least were capturing you know absurd value on any of those deals but I think for the most part, those deals were fine or fine-ish. And they sucked in the playoffs, you know, to a pretty impressive degree, along with the rest of the team. Uh, I guess Janssen can be excused. He only played one one of those games. Mm. But the answer to having, to your depth not performing in the playoffs isn't to gut it even further. Right. right. Like, is your next, is your third line next to your, you know... Christ help me. Robertson, Barabanov, and Engvall or something? Yeah, and like, like th- those <laughs> guys are cheaper for sure. They might be more efficient contracts, but they are worse. You have lost wins. So you, unless you have to reinvest those dollars elsewhere, and you have to be really sure that they're reinvested properly. So there's absolutely a world where you trade Janssen with this uh, first-round pick, and you, you find Sparky the unicorn right D, and he provides you all the wins and more that you gave up by downgrading from Kapanen and downgrading from Janssen. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of the ideal situation, but that's surprisingly hard to find. Yes. Right. And uh, for all the reasons we mentioned, you, you you need a really, really restrictive set of parameters to be met in terms of the defenseman that you were seeking in order for that to be uh, something that is really worthwhile. Yeah. And, and so uh, th- there was a comment, a tweet that was much dunked on from Steve Simmons. And he said, you can't realistically evaluate this transaction until you know what the Leafs do with the pick and you know what the Leafs do with the cap space. And, you know, it was pointed out, rightly, you know, I was talking about this with you and you mentioned, well, of course you can evaluate the trade in terms of its return. But at the same time, this offseason is defined by what they do next. This isn't the end of it. It can't be the end of it. Or it's kind of questionable what the Leafs have done as good as this trade is. What this is is a very good job uh, selling much higher than I think people thought was realistic after a season where a player maybe didn't do that well. I think it was a masterpiece of getting the most value, but it doesn't fix anything. And as much as it is, I think, winning a trade, it's not winning the Ryan O'Reilly trade or something. It's not on that scale. It's getting good assets in uh, while diverting elsewhere. And now we got to see what the follow-up is. And that's very much to play for. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I should mention kind of the case to make the trade because I think I spent a lot of time on why it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the I, I, it ties into what you just said. As good as this trade is, the Leafs are currently slightly worse on the ice relative to last year. And now they have a bullet in the chamber to improve and a useful one. As you said about picks, they are the universal currency. Pretty much every team is interested in picks all the time. 
Right. In the first round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the pick on its own, as we said, might be worth more than the muzzin package. Can you target it for a similarly attractive defenseman to stabilize the right side or get an even higher end left defenseman uh, if that's an option, right? Ekholm was the guy I mentioned. Finding that guy is, is the tricky part. Right. So, I mean, you, you get guys like Brodine who, again, has played right defense in the past, but not in the, not in the recent past. Uh, and he only has one year left on his contract. He's a rental, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to trade this first round pick for, for a rental. Right. And I right? mean, you can complicate it and say, okay, maybe you negotiate an extension. But like, there's a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. that have to go into it in terms of fit, in terms of getting the right asset. And so it's sort of like, okay, Kyle Dubas has pulled an asset out where, frankly, I didn't think he was going to be able to do it mm-hmm. in terms of getting a first and Hollander. Uh, that's very good and now it's a question of okay what can you deal with it because the first isn't wins right now it's medium and long term and so yeah I, I mean there's the whole argument that we've talked about where you say okay if you've said all that stuff about this core needs to rebuild and we need to sorry this core needs to show what it can do and we need to build around them and take a serious run at this or we need to reconsider then you're sort of thinking I want to invest in this version of the team (laughs) I want to give it an actual chance of success. And so I do see also that argument, which is could be boiled down as much as anything to look how old John DeVaris and Jake Muzzin are and act accordingly. Yeah, it's also not one or the other necessarily, right? Like you can you can swing other trades to give you other assets and, you know, spend your mix of assets differently. It is very... I, as, from a fan's perspective, and this is not the rational team building perspective mm-hmm. or whatever. From a fan's perspective, I love I love high picks. This isn't oh, even yeah. that high. It's not even. Oh, oh, to, to be clear, this has been my best effort at being rational about it. Emotionally, I want them to keep the pick, and I want them to pick somebody cool. Yeah, seriously. So, um, <laughs> there, Kevin and and Briggs do at, at our site mentioned this Finnish guy Anton Lundell, who plays, I guess, in the in the Finnish top league. Oh, um, boy. And I learned about him. You know, I they, they talked to me about him for like five minutes, and then I did ten minutes of research in him, and I, I can confidently say that he is the next Patrice Bergeron, and we should get him at all costs. Oh yeah, no, it's not even a question. Now that said, it's worth noting that in most of the projections I've seen, he goes end of the top ten, so he probably doesn't make it to fifteen. But it's just but close enough for you to hope. If he did, right? And now you say, hey, Timothy Lilligren dropped a surprising amount and then you might say also hey timothy Lilligren hasn't really turned out yet anyway doesn't matter <laughs> so <laughs> one, one thing point I wonder, is there's the, a chance with the draft this year being so teams are going to gather remotely um the play the inter the combine and whatnot i guess is completely remote in terms of interviews and all that stuff i wonder if it's less likely for teams to like fall really in love with players kind of off the board and we see a more by the book draft that's an interesting theory. It's such a such it's a nothing more situation. than a theory, right? Yeah, yeah, another theory. Yeah, like a concept. Yeah. yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there are, oh, there are so many interesting options. I mean, speaking of Noah Gun, Noel Gunler, by the way, who was uh, the the young hotshot on Hollander's team, maybe we could get him because he's projected right in the range of the fifteenth pick. Um, 
But yeah, I, I mean, there are there are so many things that are so much more fun about draft day. And I won't lie, on the site, draft day is one of the most fun, albeit very busy days of the year for us. Like we're just, you know, we're flying around, especially on the second day when we're just trying to write up picks in a hurry and stuff like that. But it's the feeling of new talent coming into your organization and it's really exciting. So yeah. I, I, I won't lie, I have a kind of emotional bias that just just, just keep it. But I can see an argument to deal it, and I think the Leafs are probably in a position where they have to strongly consider it. So, yeah, it just yeah. the one thing you don't want to happen is you don't want the Leafs to deal the pick for some guy that doesn't actually move the needle that much, or some guy who you know should be cheaper. Yeah, right. Uh, so that, like, I mean, you know, I mentioned if it's a redux of Tyson Berry. Then I'm yeah, I mean, I mentioned Weger, and I I do genuinely find Weger interesting. It's just I don't want to pay that much for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's justified. Um, and it, it is worth noting, you know, we're talking about all this, this stuff that we could do with the pick. It has to be added. We just got this pick for like uh, 60% of Casperi Kapanen or whatever you want to say that it was. Um, it's possible it only gets you so far. I, I think we definitely uh, kind of robbed Pittsburgh on this one. But at I the same time. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw there was that piece in The Athletic where, where basically, you know, it, it, it the subtext of it seemed that, like, every NHL GM is like, why the fuck did Pittsburgh accept that? Yeah, it's, uh, let's maybe just mention it. Yeah, um, yeah, like, they went through it. I'm told that once the Leafs asked Chicago about their 17th overall pick, the Blackhawks weren't interested. Um... The Wild had talks with the Leafs, but it didn't get very far. The Leafs were not going to trade the ninth. Uh, Edmonton, which has the 14th. Montreal has the 16th. Um, we're aware of Kapanen's availability, but nothing happened. You can kind of see, like, pretty much everyone who had a pick around the 15th was like, fuck no. So, <laughs> on the one hand, you say, wow, we got this for, uh, you know, a mid-level player, and that's kind of surprising surprising and maybe we've overvalued this pick on the other hand teams clearly value these picks quite a lot so you know i could see a lot of um of ways that this could go that's the wonderful thing about draft picks is their pure potential in the form of an asset you can dream on them and yeah i i suppose the bottom line here is the leafs got a lot more value dealing casperi kapanen than i thought that they necessarily would and that's really exciting and it's a question of what they do with it everything is in flux but it's really good to just win a trade where you just get more than you probably gave up and then you can do things so as simplistic as that sounds it's worth feeling good for a change maybe yeah absolutely so uh, we already have a ton of coverage on the site about this katya has uh, donned her superwoman cape and written about <laughs> seven amazing articles already it seems um, but we have breakdowns of you know the Leafs cap situation from this what they should do with the with the pick and we'll have more coming in, in uh, the future about you know the prospects that we might look at and about Hollander and all that fun stuff so you can definitely definitely check out all that stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com you can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fulman. And we'll see you uh, the next time the Leafs rob a team in a trade.